From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 606, Cloud Ops versus DevOps with guest Dana Epp, recorded Thursday, September 13th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Plop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm bringing back one of my friends today, Dana Epp, who is that serial entrepreneur who's founded several security-based software companies that have gone public or sold through acquisition. And rumor has it he's admired in a new startup, but we're probably not going to talk about that just yet. Hello, Mr. Epp. How are you? I am excellent. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, you know, no rest for the wicked. Lots going on. We're publishing this well after Ignite, but I'm recording them all before Ignite, so we're going to be mired in that. But I wanted to bring up a comment that was on your previous show. Last time we chatted, back in May of 2018, on show 586, the one on cloud-based IT automation, which was a great conversation. and. Lots of positive response to that. Matt Lacey wrote this comment. He said, I really enjoyed the discussion about how IT professionals need to embrace developer tools where appropriate. As someone who's more developer than IT pro, it also goes the other way. Developers can also learn from IT pros and benefit from the tools that they have and use. Thinking specifically about Azure, as a developer, I often feel I'm supposed to know how to use everything Azure has to offer, when in reality, I'm probably not even aware of half of what there is. When I do need to do something, though, I go through the portal and I worry if I'll be able to repeat what I've done in the future or know if I've set everything up correctly, and I really want to be able to check on it in the future. In this scenario, the ability to specify configuration as code is really appealing, and I think Matt's making it's that repeatability. Yeah. Having the tools to generate the code for what I've done previously with the portal would be even better. So how many times have we heard variations on this? I've heard this in the PowerShell version. Remember for a while there, the IIS client, the admin client, would actually spit out PowerShell code when you clicked through the menus. Absolutely. Yeah. And even if think things like SCOM, if you look at it, there's like there's a little button that says generate operation as PowerShell. And it was, you know, right. to try to help people have reproducible scripting and everything on there. And that was pretty cool. That was a very powerful quote, by the way. That comment is awesome. And you know, I have a I have a response to that for him if he's ever thinking about it. And this will surprise him. You can actually just go into a resource group, right-click, and export as an ARM template. And you get an exact copy of exactly the configuration of that infrastructure at that point in time. And then you can redeploy it through Azure Resource Manager. Nice. Which is, these type of things are this combination of when we have these developers rolling out awesome infrastructure code. And then the problem is most of these templates fail as soon as someone makes a change in the portal. This is the scary thing. The combination of the Azure CLI, the Azure PowerShell and the portal, it's so easy that, hey, I deployed what I think is the perfect infrastructure as code as I want it, and then someone changes it. And they call it configuration drift. And that's the power of being able to just regenerate the ARM template and then run a PowerShell to compare the two and see what's changed. Now you know what's going on. And this this is something that not a lot of developers know. And actually, I think a lot of times IT pros, like the guys that are in cloud ops, should know. Yeah. And, and then kind of, it also becomes a almost a way that they have to police what's going on because the only way to do it is if you have change tracking on or if you've got these capabilities of being able to 
see what's changed or different because especially if you have more than one teammate, it is so easy to instrument and change what's going on when it's in the cloud. It's just a toggle in most cases. And that's both awesome and frightening. And correct me if I'm wrong, but an ARM template is just a text file. Yes. It's a way in code to describe infrastructure, right? And so in the end, that's awesome because that means that you now have the ability to have a reproducible way. And you know, I think we talked on the last show, it's like, well, now what if these IT pros start using, you know, Azure DevOps to check in their text files? Those right. things. Now, now you have a trackability that you didn't have before on what was it? What did we change? How did we change it? When did we change it? Hopefully we're even following the processes that developers had for years for things like peer review and having gated check-ins and, and, you know, so we start having a more mature way of being able to hit those dials and focus where we need to. And provide a very meaningful way that both sides of the equation, developers and operations, start understanding how the stuff works. And I do like the idea, and I think it's still a bit clunky, of those kinds of documents being managed through source control so that we can keep a log of the changes as well, see how they've evolved over time, be able to revert to earlier versions, and to have notes of why we changed things. Yeah. And that becomes your living documentation. Like, sure. you know, in the old days, it was IT must document everything. And there's companies out there that the only thing they do is provide, yeah. you know, change management, database, document tracking. And I have nothing against them because I think if you actually deploy that and follow it, it's awesome. But here's the problem. As soon as you get in the cloud and people are making changes, you have no way to keep that documentation right. up to date unless you have people that follow the process. And reality is human condition when there's something changing and production has an issue. And we have to go tile something, change it up, make it all work. The last thing we're thinking about is, oh, go back to documentation and update that right. one thing. But if it's driven by infrastructure's code and this kind of thinking, and you're trying to make those changes, and then you regenerate it, well, guess what? As soon as you check that in, there is the change. And if you've documented it as you're doing the check-in, you have it. So it becomes a living, breathing entity. And this whole idea of describing infrastructure as code, I think, is the future where a lot of this is going. Yeah, I prefer systems that don't rely on everyone's diligence. I'd rather that even when you're not diligent, still the right thing happens. But uh, And thanks so much for the feedback on the comment here. Yeah, that was awesome. I should go back in there and let him know that. And and, and just, yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for your comment. And I'll be shipping a run as radio mug out to you as soon as possible. And if you'd like a run as radio mug, Write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or via any of the social media I post every show to LinkedIn, Facebook, and Google+. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a mug. What do you want to talk about, my friend? Well, what's this on this topic? There's been something that's been on my mind. Mm-hmm. And I would love if you're open to it, to just to talk about this concept of DevOps versus CloudOps. Okay. This has been driving me batty. And, and, uh, and it's, it's just, if you think about it, the whole concept of DevOps is supposed to be developers and operations. Yes. And even back, like, like, I think it's almost a decade now. The original term, I think, came there was this guy, uh, Patrick Dubois. John Allspaugh. Was it John? I remember there was this. Patrick Dubois wrote it. Yeah. It was Allspaugh's presentation at the conference down in San Jose. That's, that's just about performance on websites. And the name just jumped out of my head. <laughs> that Steve Souders used to plan. But he he did this great talk that was sort of the first he was and he used this the Star Trek as the metaphor. So he's comparing yeah. Scotty to Spock, right? <laughs> Spock is dev, Scotty is ops, you know, that it was hilarious and brilliant. But it, it's really where I, I think the first evidence we have of this phrase DevOps. Well, it's funny because you think about it, 
even back then, the concept was developers and operations working better together yes. to get changes to systems out quicker. That was its intent. Yep. Right. And, and now, depending where you go, especially more in a Microsoft ecosystem, but this, this really is systemic in the whole industry is DevOps is now seen as it's a developer thing. And it's developers in many cases who are supposed to now know how to deploy into production and manage production. And I think that in many ways, this is wrong because it gets to this all of a sudden this resonance of does IT matter anymore in the cloud? Because like are IT professionals part of the equation? And absolutely, because production IT ops is still vital. In many cases, don't get me wrong, I'm a developer guy. I'm also an IT guy. Yep. I see both sides of it. But the fact of the matter is, is many cases, developers don't understand SRE. They don't understand production. They understand their code, but they don't understand the impact of that, especially in decoupled systems where developers might know one service or one component. And they don't know how that all works out with the other side of it. And so I'm almost to a point where I think there's got to be a term that's DevOps and one that's cloud ops. And the cloud ops side is, you know, being responsible for the production monitoring and maintenance and management and working with the DevOps group to make sure that what they're building, what they're automating, the CI/CD pipeline actually aligns with what's in there. Because we get back to like what we just talked about at the beginning of the show, things like configuration drift that happen immediately after the developers deploy. It's like, ah, that didn't quite work. Okay, let's tune this. Tweak it and go again. Absolutely. Right. How about things like the fact developers write their, in some cases, they don't know how to use Key Vault correctly, or more importantly, DevOps people should not actually have access to Key Vault. Yeah. They should not have the secrets, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you start thinking about that? And, and that's what I want to talk about. I just want to tell you, this has been bugging me because in true pure DevOps, that's not an issue, but that's not what we're getting these days. And DevOps as a moniker is a developer thing. And then what does that leave the IT pro that responsible for the cloud? Yeah, I think I think you're abusing the DevOps turn if you just talk about a CI CD pipeline. Absolutely. Because it's got to go all the way around. We need to get feedback of what happened in production back to our feature designers and our developers. Yeah. Errors that are generated in production need to be fed back, preferably automatically, because as soon as you handwrite a bug, people criticize your writing rather than the bug. Mm-hmm. and let the system do it yeah let the system do it because everybody's on the same side then yeah. the machine generated this message what do we want to do about it exactly but you know your crit one errors those are easy we know we need to deal with those the much more subtle things are the long-term performance monitoring how we're degrading what features are being used you know ux efficiencies like how much time people are wasting on a given page or fighting with a particular app. Like that's what really good instrumentation can bring into play. And when I think about the ops side of a DevOps cycle, it's as much, it's the monitoring instrumentation and effectively feeding that back into improving features. Yeah. When I go and talk to a lot of these people that are deploying infrastructure and applications, especially in Azure, I ask one simple question. Were your operations people in a conversation when you started talking about how you're going to log things? Did you consider using App Insights or tooling like that and log analytics to be able to be able to have the right golden metrics that be able to help you understand the performance characteristics of what's going on and the expectations of what those are? Because I think it's vital because the developers understand how it's going on underneath the hood, but the operation people have to manage that. And if they're not having that conversation before deployment, and then making sure that the right signals are being hit for everybody so everyone knows, then then we're losing this huge opportunity where we have this power and we're not using it. And it's like, you know, back to Matt's point, it's like, 
there's just so many things that are happening in the world that they won't, the developers won't know. And in the end, how do we help them? And how do we be part of that conversation early enough, not just for performance management and tracking, but everything like, how are you storing your information? What, what does your data flow diagram look like? So I understand where we need to worry about secrets and how we got to back things up and what happened. Like if we assume breach, which is my terminology for now, I don't think about security, but what about, what about assume failure? Is resiliency more important than stability? Like these are questions that only the developers and operations can talk about if they're having meaningful dialogue and it's not a passe thing. Oh, I'll just get it rolled out quickly. I'll just spike it out and it'll just. Just roll out the change. I'd also say that you need those competing points of view. Yes. Well, it helps to make it healthier, right? Yeah. My line has always been that the friction of those different points of view, it's tempering the plan. Yeah. There's a certain level of paranoia in a good security person that if you tried to be a developer as well, you'd never get anything done. So you need that mindset that is scrutinizing these things, saying, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? All that security thinking does is mitigate risks. You're never going to get the risks down to zero. So there's got to be that prioritization and working through them. Yeah. I mean, there's easy ones like your key's got to be in the key vault, not in the source, dude, right? Like that's a, that's a good one. But you there's further and further down the path on all of that. But until, until I have someone with an operations mindset, and a developer mindset in the room, and the business mindset, and that security mindset, you know, those things together actually make a better app. And it can't be in one person. It's just not possible. Yeah, I agree. I I think one of the interesting things that we also see through this whole thing is that people think that DevOps is a role, right? Yeah. And and it's not. No. And that's that's something that, like, they just got to think that through, is that in many cases, there's typically almost five to six different types of roles that end up having to be part of a true DevOps culture that includes the IT ops side of that whole equation. And especially if you have hybrid environments, right? we're still not in a world that we're all cloud-born or, no. or, or all cloud-driven. So you got to deal with the fact that you're going to have hybrid environments. And you know, I, I, can't, I can't mention the company, but there was a recent opportunity where someone had called me to come just help them to understand some issues. So one of the things I got brought into to take a look at this in this business was this aspect of they were using a virtual network connecting up into Azure and they were trying to figure out why they were having some access violations. And it ended up that they opened up directly into the developer's environment, a full VPN into the production backend systems. And I was like, well, why, why are you doing it? Well, this is the only way they can deploy it and manage it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Think this through. There's no, there are reasons and ways that the hybrid infrastructure allows your local network to be able to access in your cloud infrastructure, but that needs to have the same type of security validation viewpoint and more importantly, IT operations uh, viewing than if it was all just on-premise. There's no difference just because it's in the cloud. It's right. just, just think of it as, a, as a, a, a more latent subnet at the end of the day and think of that stuff through. And what's funny is that I don't see a lot of people thinking that way. And that's an unfortunate reality of, of just the time of, the pace of innovation is so fast, people are trying to embrace everything, and they're willing to sometimes cut out the people in ways that might not be so great from an IT operations standpoint. But that's not everybody, just to be clear, right? There's a lot of people that are, are trying to do this and do it right. But but I think more than not, I'm seeing more and more people just, it's almost becoming friction between DevOps and CloudOps. Right. So I, we need to work together. You know, we shouldn't have to be separate divisions doing things like that. All right, Danny, give me one moment here for this very important message. 
This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by SQL Intersection. Eight full-day workshops and over 40 technology-focused sessions make SQL Intersection a unique source of the best information around SQL Server from real-world consultants and the members of the SQL Server team. You'll learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as learn about the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance cloud, as well as new features in the latest version of SQL Server. It's time to determine your migration strategy, and SQL Intersection is the place to figure out the best way to do it. Come to SQL Intersection at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December 3rd to 6th. Use the code RUNAS to get your discount on your registration at thesqlintersection.com. And I'll see you there. And we're back. Richard Campbell here on Run As Radio talking to my friend Dana Epp. We're debating cloud ops versus DevOps. And I got to tell you, brother, other than the company in Montreal, I'm not convinced that cloud ops is actually a thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you start thinking about what should it be then, right? Like, honestly, it just should be the ops part of DevOps. But the problem is I find a lot of IT professionals see that as, as, as something that's against them. And in many cases, it's scary because a lot of IT professionals start to think, do I even matter anymore in there? And they do. I think, I don't know, you want to call it IT ops, you want to just call it ops, you want to call it cloud ops. I don't know what the term is for it, but I think it is a separate responsibility and role set. Even if it is part of a DevOps process, I think in the end, there's still this concept of excellence in IT operations. It feels to me like the only reason we would even use this term is because we're in this transitory period where the cloud is still seen as other. Yeah. As opposed to what should be apparent in a few more years where compute is compute. Where it is, is kind of irrelevant. Exactly. It's, it's interesting. Like, even think what Microsoft talks a lot about when in their marketing monitors of like things like the intelligent cloud and right. the intelligent edge. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. There is a need to manage that in production. Well, who is that role? Totally. But <laughs> you really get back to the real issue, right? And we recently did a show on Donna Rocks on about the intelligent edge. And the real conversation was our constrained resources bandwidth. Whether it's through a wire or over the air, the one thing is not growing with Moore's law is bandwidth. Right. So we have compute, quote unquote, at the edge. You use it with the intent to reduce network traffic. Yeah. You know, don't haul all the data from that IoT device back to the cloud. Do your initial renders and thinking around it so that you're summarizing much of that data before you haul it back. And that becomes now into this new modern era where the application stack is changing. Because even if we're adapting and adopting cloud compute capabilities and things like machine learning models and everything, now we can push that back down into that IoT device, leave sure. the data close to the measurement that we're doing and only ship up what we need to so that we get the best of both worlds. Yeah, you, you, and so you, this is exactly what we were talking about was this idea that if you're using machine learning, you're building the models in the cloud with that infinite amount of compute on demand so that it goes quickly. But you're operating those models at the edge with somewhat more restricted resources, but still insane amounts of power. Like, we have to remind ourselves that these smartphones literally have more compute than the supercomputers of a decade ago. It's, just, it's easy to forget. But again, I'm, I'm still going to press on you, dude. I don't know that cloud ops is actually a thing. It's just ops. I don't disagree. Except that when you just say ops, people think on-premise. If the digital transformation is really critical over the next decade, and, and we see a lot of indications that it will continue to be that way, sure. how do we make sure that it's clear that the IT professional is critical to that role, yeah. as is developers, as they're changing? Because IT needs to get closer to developers, developers need to get closer to IT. Together, 
the whole aspect is to make modern applications that are more decoupled, that we can take advantage of this. The, the, the companies that are going to succeed, no matter if they're huge or small, it's going to come from the ones that can embrace these changes, that these legacy apps that have shackled them to the servers on premise no longer need to be there. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be servers. It just means that how we use them, what we're looking at, they can change so that we can take advantage of these things. Heck, five years ago, you couldn't build machine learning models of any meaningful way for the data. And now we have data scientists that, that have entire new roles that didn't exist. And this becomes our ability to embrace it. Well, and a lot of this was facilitated by the cloud in the first place, right? Absolutely. When we started looking at these convoluted neural networks and so forth, and that's like the 2010, 2011, 2012 time period, it was only the biggest companies that were experimenting. It was the only ones that could own the sufficient hardware to really do stuff with it. It was Google and Microsoft and IBM and so forth. But the cloud makes that available to any of us. Absolutely. And, and, and empowers us to do it on different ways and different devices to do interesting things we've never even thought of before. But at the end of the day, whatever that is, there's data to worry about, there's software to worry about, yeah. there's infrastructure access control that worry about. When you look at the shared responsibility model of the cloud, it all comes back down to there is stuff that needs to be backed up. There's stuff that sure. we need to worry about who has access to it and how the application is going to function and run. That's what Office is all about. I think the only reason that we get in, then into this trap of cloud versus on-premises is we think it's only the two things. What if every bit of compute matters? Because as soon as you throw mobile into the equation, that compute matters too. And it is also not necessarily on-premises. It is transitory. Yeah. You know, overall, if I'm head of ops, I care about the compute that my organization uses, period. Yeah. Right? Own it or rent it whether it's on-premises or elsewhere, in motion, in a car, like there, it's all compute we're responsible for. Right. And it gets more interesting as you start tying in that at the end, this all is driven by people. And sometimes the compute you're using doesn't belong to you. Right. Right. What do you do when those devices? Years ago, there's a big fight about when you're thinking about mobile uh, device management, the whole aspect of MDM. Well, I'm not installing company controlling on my phone. That's my phone. And then it's like, well, right. then we create viewports into the data so that we still have control. over. It. There, there are ways around it and, and workable. Well, it, this, it, there are versions of virtualization that are about, I want to create a container that has the yeah. business stuff in it that is isolated sufficiently from my unowned device, my rented device or my lent device. Yeah. I can secure it and pull it back out, but we can still get work done. So Star Trek era, having those pads for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Moving data and, you know. Well, I, I just like these models because we're defining clearer edges. You think about when VMs first came along and we had that proliferation of VMs, which is clearly what the container is going through right now, too, and why we're playing with all the different tools to try and manage the containers. That proliferation was because we could be virtualized, because we did have that flexibility and it was effective and efficient. And now, you know, you get back to, What's the operations role? The operations role is to make sure that the things that are being invented by devs are being used well, being used safely and efficiently. Absolutely. And, and I think that those changes is one of the reasons that the, this whole aspect of getting IT and dev closer together is that we start blurring the lines about how to tune and manage that and how to track that. And in the end, I don't think as an IT guy, I could fully understand and appreciate how a developer may approach that. As a developer, I look at the complexities and say, I, I, you know, and how are we going to scale that? How are we going to manage that? Sure. I think that's an interesting place, which gets me down. I think where the, I see this 
almost friction. I see the friction almost too much and it just shouldn't be there. Yeah. And I don't have an answer. I wish I had a good answer. But the two different viewpoints are super valuable, right? Like there is a reality and this goes right back to the beginning of this conversation. Developers tend to try and solve problems with code. Operations tend to try and solve problems with tools. When they can talk, you find out that, you know, Pareto's law applies. And in 80% of the cases, there's a 20% solution that makes it easier, right? Yeah. And so those broad discussions when we can actually sit as operations people with devs talking about the architecture of the next version or the next feature and see how it fits into the system is where you'll see, hey, if we use this platform piece from Azure rather than rolling our own, it saves you coding time. It already fits into our identity model. Like there's a bunch of stuff we get for that. Dev will tend to want to roll their own. And even when they don't, often when they try and bring platform pieces in, if they haven't engaged operations in that early, you're suddenly making commitments around how you secure it and how you communicate with it and how it's uh, the identity of, of it is managed, so forth. So to actually, you know, again, be on the same side of discussing what platform pieces we use so that we write less code and we have more management around it. I love your comment of who was in the room when the logging was decided. Yeah. Right? Because... It's super important, right? Yeah. Good instrumentation needs to benefit operations day to day and benefit feature definitions sprint to sprint. Those are two different jobs. And if everybody's not in the room for that, you're just not going to get it. What's interesting is there's tooling out there. It's surprising how many people don't understand how well App Insights can work in this. Yeah, I totally agree. And you can filter that and create a limited uh, permission set so that the developers can see certain aspects of that because obviously production, production data, and you know, you got to be careful and that kind of stuff. But then you have this auditing issue of how do we make sure that we're not leaking information into those type of logs and, you know, what are we doing? Well, these are all just dev maturity things. Right. But at the end, being able to then leverage that and say, let's run this filter to be able to find this thing. Let's look at these trace logs that are automatically. So it's like there's now in most like web apps in, in the function as a service components like Azure Functions, there's just literally there's a, you just click it, add to app insights. It's a, it's a checkbox. And then it's like, it's there. And now underneath the hood, any trace logs, any other stuff gets written out there. And then people don't even know it's there. They don't know how to use that. And they're like, they're going back to, let's go use something like Kudo. Like oh, one of my favorite tools in Azure. And the one of the things that drives me the baddest is Kudo. I don't know if you've ever had a really good chance to look at it, but it allows you to get right into the infrastructure behind the scenes and the permission model on that. It's just so scary. It's like, you see everything. And it's just like, no, no, turn that off. Don't let people have access to that. But at the same light, it's like developers then gives them the power to be able to look and tune in production with assistance from ops to be able to understand those, those impacts. And if they're in together and they're thinking about what do we care about? How do we measure it? How do we monitor it? How do we manage it? Now we can start being able to build more resilient applications that can handle it. And then you take the modern cloud patterns for application building and decoupling these things and using things like event-driven messaging when possible. And And, and I'm not talking about... Yes, if you want to, you can use service bus or event grid and do all those things. But something as simple as, hey, storage has queues. You can use these things to be able to kick off and manage other other components. And right. with serverless compute, you can IT people can start getting almost like getting shunts into the code to be able to see, manage, monitor all these other components and then tie it into whatever their tool set is. Like you don't have to abandon what you have. What I like about these platform plays then is that you can approach them as experiments. Yeah. And so much of this has to do with language. 
you know, for, for an operations person to come to dev and say, hey, you know, I know we're talking about logging. Should we do an experiment with Insight and see what we get? Yeah. It's not a big commit from anybody. Like you said, it's literally a switch to turn on. It's like, let's run this in production for a little while and look at the data we get and see what we think. But yeah. I don't like certainty on anybody's side. We are in a time of great change around software. We do have many more options for us. Let's all be scientists, make hypotheses, do tests, look, you know, and look at results and say, does this give us what we want? Is this what we expected value-wise? Yeah. Don't change the world. Don't boil the ocean. Just make small iterative changes to make sure that you're getting the best out of everything that's there. Which we're able to do. So, I mean, I, and I'm really thinking about, you know, the Phoenix Project, that book. Yeah. And sort of the ideal DevOps state is this sort of joyous, we're all on the same side, all experimenting towards the same goal. And I would hope that everybody gets into what's the next piece of code we need to write carefully, that it's a broader conversation. And certainly where there's platform plays for any of those pieces, we tend to go that way. I'm afraid that adding more terms makes it more divisive. I don't disagree with you that in too much DevOps is just CI, CD pipeline. That step number one has got to be what's beyond deployment. What's next? And it's a lot of things. Automated testing. Because until you have automated deployment, automated testing really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But being able to spread out those tests, do them quickly and invalidate in a deeper level so that you have an intelligent gate before you truly get to deployment, absolutely. And then instrumentation and automated feedback for both errors and feature behavior. Yeah. You know, it's interesting is as you're when you're thinking that about that, that we get back to as they do each one of those steps, they can continue. So if they're doing something like infrastructure's code, they describe that out there. It's yep. easy to deploy into a separate resource group. And be able to run all those tests on there to give an exact replica of what has to be out there. And then being able to run those smoke tests and have all those capabilities and automate all that over time in each one of those cycles. Yes. So then it's not just about doing blue green in one environment. You literally can spin up, advocate how things need to be done, verify, and then and only then when it's ready, roll that in prod where it makes sense. Yeah. But I, and I think part of that is so operations also has to be bold enough to say we're going to be able to do some of these experiments in prod. They have to be willing to do it. Yeah. But of course they have to be willing to do it because if you're just an obstacle, they will go around you. I think that's the big thing that's changed, Dana, is that what's the cloud really done? It's taken away barriers. Yeah. If you choose not to play ball, they'll simply go without you. You don't get to just say no and stand there. Yeah. It's got to be a better conversation than that. Like the days where shadow IT came about, right? It was like if IT wasn't willing to make changes, allow people would go. Salesforce's whole business model based off of that. Totally. Hey, if you're not going to help me set up CRM, I'll just go throw my credit card to some guy in the cloud and I'll do it. I've been in that situation. I got hired to do documentation for a division that had knocked all of their metrics out the window. They'd killed it. The other three divisions wanted to learn from them. Headquarters basically hired me to do the writing. And I sat down and studied this group. And the reason they'd kicked ass they weren't using internal operations at all. There you go. And they violated a raft of security rules and so forth. Like, we now couldn't write about it anymore because there were serious problems and, and violations and things. But it was just that moment of insight is like, they got fully circumvented. Like, you, you guys need some serious counseling now. We've got to talk about this because there's a reason they did it yeah. and were successful on the surface, right? Our instrumentation's got problems. How we measure things got problems. And... Wow, how do you get to a place where that made more sense than working it out with the team? Yeah. All right, 
I'm I'm still firmly on the fence here in terms of we without a doubt have to do DevOps better. I want cloud to just be part of the conversation. It's just another tool in the toolbox. It is not all encompassing. It's not all the one thing. I'm with you, man. I hope that we can continue just, you know, advocate out there and get people to realize dev and ops isn't a person. No. It's a process, it's a process. and it involves both developers and operations. Call it whatever you want. Right. IT ops, ops, cloud ops, or DevOps. At the end of the day, IT needs to be in that room. Developers need to be in that room, and they want to work and innovate together. We can't be shackled to the old way of don't change anything because it's just too much work. Right. Well, I, I once upon a time, before we got these new terms, we used to call it making a good team. There you go. Cross-functional, cross-departmental, capable of helping the company grow and leverage technology. Absolutely. Dana, half hour flies by when we get all heated like this. <laughs> Always fun, man. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for inviting. Uh, my pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Radio.